The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Today upon this Bach Cantata Sunday, we announce the grace of God in word and music for a community that spans the globe. In Geneva, two physicians, mother and father with their two children, listen to word and music. In Amsterdam, a former chorister listens with her own family at her side. In Tokyo, new friends at the university there join us for this hour. In Sao Paulo, one couple joins us each week. Today we attend to truth in the interpretation of the gospel. We greet goodness in the gathering of the church. And we are immersed in beauty and voice and instrument, in collegium and choir. Behold the universal height of this beauty, recognized around the world as such. In an age that has dissolved its universals, you dare to sing and speak of what lasts, matters, counts everywhere for everyone. This snowy day is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. O God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers, and because in our weakness we can do nothing good without you, give us the help of your grace, that in keeping your commandments we may please you both in will and deed. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Even now you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving according to human inclinations? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The one who plants and the one who waters have a common purpose, and each will receive wages according to the labor of each. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 119 with the Antiphon. are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous ordinances. I will observe your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me.
Now please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. Glory to you, O Lord. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be li- liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar, there before the altar, and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if, you, and if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better to, for you to lose one than to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by the heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head. For you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Beloved, this third cantata of Marsh Chapel's Bach experience continues the overarching theme of arrivals that permeate the four cantatas this season. In the fall, we celebrated the birthday of John the Baptist and the ascension of Mary. In April, we will celebrate the arrival of the Holy Spirit upon Pentecost. This morning features Bach's cantata composed for the Feast of the Purification and first performed February 2, 1725. The purification commemorates Mary's return to the temple 40 days after giving birth to Jesus in accordance with Mosaic law. The sense of Jesus' arrival is crystallized, however, by the words of Simeon, 
whose prophecy of death soon after meeting the Messiah has remained one of the most enduring poetic and musical texts in all of Christianity. Those words, also known by the Latin nunc dimittis, are set here by Bach in a combination of Martin Luther's chorale translation and an anonymous libretto's extrapolation of the corresponding chorale versus themes, a technique we have seen in the other chorale cantatas, so from today's notes. For a moment, let us hear Matthew in concert with all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They are each very different, but in the acclamation of resurrection and cross, they partly converge. So the grace and power of Bach this morning are amply justified. The Gospel writer himself had a vision overwhelming enough to eliminate the painful and humiliating aspects of Jesus' passion and to replace them with signs of exaltation and glory so as to compress the events of Good Friday and Easter into a single momentous happening, the defeat of the prince of this world and the victory of the Christ. Recall Matthew and his community of faith 20 centuries ago. Conscious as they were of the continuing presence in their midst of the glorified one, no wonder that community, or rather the evangelist who was its chief spokesperson, smoothed out the rough edges of the traditions of the historical Jesus and expanded the points into stars. His portrait of Jesus arose from his constant awareness, which he shared with members of his community, that they were living in the presence of the glorified one. So dazzling was this glory that any memory of a less-than-glorious Christ was altogether eclipsed. They realized that the truth that they prized as the source of their new life was to be identified not with the Jesus of history but with the risen and glorious Christ and that, that this was a Christ free from all human weakness. The claims they made for him were at the heart of the new religion, that soon came to be called Christianity. The portrait of Christ is best accounted for by the experience of the glorious Christ constantly present to the gospel writer and his community. Beloved, the Sermon on the Mount is an interim ethic meant first and foremost for those to whom Jesus preached and with whom Matthew taught in the first century of the Common Era. These words, Matthew 5, 21 and following, fit a time when intense expectation predicted the culmination of history in apocalypse, the end of time, not sometime, but Thursday after lunch, Friday morning, soon, very soon. Hence the stark hyperbole here. Hence the rigorous ethic here, pending the eschaton a teaching ad interim, awaiting soon and very soon the return of the Lord. We know hyperbole when we hear it, eyes plucked and hands cut off and so on, no matter the witness of origin. We know also the wrestling with hard choices, here cast in first century white heat, as in the stricture against divorce, though even here with a caveat. For with scripture and tradition, we know and affirm 
the need on occasion for divorce for the sake of the institution of marriage itself. These words from 85 AD are not meant to be taken out of 2,000 years on ice only to let them thaw and eat them raw. Sickness ensues thus. No, they need preparation, cooking, heating, seasoning, and careful presentation. Originalist interpretation is as much a failed project in biblical hermeneutics as it is in constitutional law. Glory, as F.C. Bauer put it, the essence of Christianity is the revelation of the glory of God in the only Son of the Father, the fullness of his grace and truth disclosed in him who was made flesh, wherein all the imperfections, limits, and negativity of the law are absolutely transcended. Dr. Jarrett, what has the Bach Cantata today in all its glory to say of and to us this morning? Today's cantata explores not just salvation by faith, but the extraordinary wonder of the light of Christ come to save. Written for the Feast of the Purification of Mary, Bach's anonymous librettist focuses on the wonderful story of Simeon's encounter with the Christ child in the temple, the lesson from just 10 days ago in our own liturgical calendar. The opening movement is as solemn as it is elegant. Set in a dance-like 12-8 time, this E minor opening chorus might remind the listener of the famous opening chorus of the St. Matthew Passion. The movement's motives are heard first in dialogue between the solo flute and oboe, before other instruments and voices have their chance at the melody. The chorale on which this movement is based was well known to Bach's listeners, and his special treatment of the phrases toward the end, dealing with the calm and quiet of death's eternal sleep, surely would not have gone without notice. The central portion of the cantata sets two arias and two recitatives, and, as we might expect, the theological journey moves from the most personal to the corporate, even the global. Perhaps the most astonishing movement in Cantata 125, Bach's aria for alto soloist, is also the longest, clocking in at nearly 11 minutes. The aria is scored for solo flute and oboe with a lightly pulsating continuo line, and Bach indicates that the keyboard player is not to outline any of the harmonies, but simply double the cello part. The flute and oboe begin as a duet, but the inclusion of the alto solo completes a trinity of highly ornamented concertists. With an obvious nod in the libretto to Simeon's old and failing eyes, you'll see it says gebrochenen Augen, the light of salvation at having seen his Savior shines clear. Here Bach draws us into his remarkable sound world, delicate and suspended as we ponder the wonder of our salvation. By contrast, the bass soloist stirs us from this enthralling music in an accompanied recitative that weaves both the libretto and Luther text in a well-hewn sermon. The wonder of the light of salvation takes on a new opulence in a fantastic duet for tenor and bass in which the light of Christ shines as a global radiance, an unfathomable and uncreated treasure of goodness. Listen for that. Unbegreiflich, unerschöpfter, Schatz des Güte, a Schatz, a treasure of goodness. 
not just for, not just for Simeon and Box Lutherans, but a universal assurance of grace. On a cantata day devoted to arrivals, where are we and at what portal do we arrive in this hour? Are we not in, pa- in part looking back now as a people on a decade of progress across this land of the free and the home of the brave? Think back 10 years. A cultural freedom, economic progress, recession, bailout, gulf cleanup, attempted bipartisanship, gay marriage, expansive health care, immigration prudence, measured peace, renewable energy, supported community colleges, presidential grace, rhetorical excellence, wars ended, a Nobel Prize, some racial progress, opposition to guns, a denuclearized Iran, Paris Climate Accords, international respect, personal perseverance, presence in traumas, including here in Boston, and exemplary leadership. But now, on arrival, we are also looking forward to another decade, different, a decade of laborious redress. With students at BU, BU, we will need to be, in this next decade, Bold, kind, tough, wise, true, lean, strong, good, sharp, and smart. And when? And how? St. Matthew is concerned with false prophets and false brethren in five sermonettes. Discipleship, apostleship, revelation, church administration, judgment. We shall need the sense of glory, of joyful wonder, transcendence, of abandon of play. Yes, even if the, even that found in the aftermath, say, of a fifth Super Bowl a week ago, day by day, week by week, we shall need to empower and nourish us along the hard path of the next decade, a decade to come of humiliation that may lead to humility, a decade of crucial but tedious committee-level leadership development and other that may lead to progress, a decade of gradual recognition slowly on the part of millennials and baby boomers together that culture matters, civil society matters, organizations matter, institutions matter, and so do votes. Late last Sunday night, the words of Peter Berger a generation ago may have come to mind, he wrote, both in practice and in theoretical thought, human life gains the greatest part of its richness from the capacity for ecstasy, by which I do not mean the alleged experiences of the mystic, but any experience stepping outside the taken-for-granted reality of everyday life, any openness to the mystery that surrounds us on all sides, to this rediscovery of ecstasy and metaphysics as crucial dimensions of human life, and by the same token to the recovery of lost riches of both experience and thought. Such ecstasy, weekday or Sunday, word or music, gradually makes space for generosity. In fact, and in conclusion, 
The eye of the Lord today rests for a moment upon a genuine generosity. You are a generous people. If we follow our Lord's gaze, our eyes too may rest for a moment upon such genuine generosity. We too, by the lenses of scripture, may for a moment see what Jesus sees, imagine what he imagines even today. His vision may shape our own, and then in his light we may see light. Follow in the mind's eye for a moment the angle of vision, the dominical angle of vision, now registered for us in all time in St. Matthew's generous gospel, chapter 5. Hum the tune some months after Christmas. Do you see what he sees? He sees and he honors genuine generosity. Can we do otherwise? The next time you are tempted as you consider a generous act to think that no one sees, that no one shares, that no fruit falls, remember today's gospel. Be reconciled and then come and offer your gift. Follow the eye of the Lord, resting for a moment today upon generosity. In the Spirit, he teaches us about visible generosity. He delights us with religious generosity. He persuades us of the power of generosity. Such generosity has had our 16th president, whom this day, February 12th, we may recall just weeks before his death, Lincoln said, At this second appearing to take the oath of the presidential office, there is less occasion for an extended address than there was at first. On the occasion corresponding to this four years ago, all thoughts were anxiously directed to an impending civil war. All dreaded it, all sought to avert it. Both parties deprecated war, but one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish and the war came. Neither party expected for the war the magnitude or the duration which it has already attained. Neither anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with or even before the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for an easier triumph and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God and each invokes God's aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces, but let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. Let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and for his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. Dr. Jarrett, whence cometh our help? From the Lord who made heaven and earth, the creator, the ground of being, the God beyond God, the invisible, unknowable, unutterable, 
unattainable, the first, the last beyond all thought, the transcendent. What is the point of our lives, of our living? To worship God and glorify God forever. How is this possible in the face of silence, darkness, mystery, accident, pride, immaturity, tragedy, and the threat of meaninglessness? By walking in the dark with our transforming friend, the transcript in time of who God is in eternity, the gift of the Father's unfailing grace, our beacon, not our boundary, the presence of the absence of God, Jesus Christ, our curios. Given our failures, our gone wrongness, our sin, what daily hope have we as those who hope for what we do not see? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where there is freedom, there is promise. There is a self-correcting spirit of truth loose in the universe. There is a self-correcting spirit of truth loose in the universe. How do we follow this trail of the Spirit? By tithing, by ordered Sunday worship, and by honest faithfulness in our relationships.
Dear friends, let us remember that Bach gave us God's word, Mozart gave us God's laughter, and Beethoven gave us God's fire, and God gave us music that we might pray without words. Please join me in thanking Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett, the Marsh Chapel Choir and Collegium, for leading us in prayer this morning. Dear friends, we are grateful for your presence with us on this blustery, snowy Sunday morning. We uh, note that our regular schedule of activities for the week is going forward as of this moment anyway. For more information on the university's disposition with regard to the impending and already happening storms, uh, please keep an eye on the BU website. Uh, we do hope that you will uh, join us for our Dean's Choice this week, Create Space, on Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock in the Marsh Room downstairs, led by our, chap our university chaplain for international students, Jessica Chica. Also, on Saturday, February 25th, in uh, all day here at the chapel, we'll be hosting one of our study retreats for those of you looking for a place to uh, locate your study in the context of food and in meditative practice. We invite you to join us. Uh, that day, registration is on the chapel website at bu.edu slash chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Siegfried Kark Ellert's setting of O oh God, Our Faithful God. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
O gracious God, we offer you these gifts in praise of your glory. With your guidance, we hope to grow as individuals and spread your love. Even if we stagnate and slow down our growth as individuals, you exemplify your patience through the teachings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May these gifts being offered be symbolic of the community we foster and the neighbors we serve. We pray these things in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen.